Hello, my name is Glenn Hoberg, and I am one of the pastors at Grace Downtown, and want to welcome you to what we're calling the second act of the Holy Week drama, Maundy Thursday. Think for a second about an area where you have some talent, some skill. Maybe it's the ability to play an instrument like piano. Maybe it's the ability to play a sport like soccer. Maybe it's the ability to compute a math problem. And then think about a time where you had a chance to see a real master do that very thing. And they do it so well, your response is, it's like I don't know how to do any of it. It's like I'm at level 101 and and they don't have any ceiling on their ability to do this. That's what it was like to experience Jesus loving people. The word mandi is a Latin word for command or mandate, and it refers to the command that Jesus gave to his disciples to love one another. And yet, curiously, he calls it a new command. Now, that wasn't a new command. It was as old as the earth. But it was new when you saw it lived out in Jesus. It was as if you never knew how to love. Let that be our prayer as we move through this service as we hear the scriptures, as we participate in the singing, as we participate in the prayer, and as we start by uh, reciting Psalm 116 together, I'll lead us, and then you respond in the bold. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? We respond, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord.
sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until Jesus serves the Last Supper, Luke 22:14-23. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Scene three, a reading from John chapter 13, verses three through nine and 12 through 15. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking the towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. When he had washed their feet and put on 
his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, this is Yancey. I'm one of the pastors in the Grace DC Network. I want to take a moment to lead us through a prayer of lament. Will you please pray with me? Father, a quiet has come across our land, and we are before you troubled, distressed, and downcast. We're like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, overwhelmed with sorrow by the circumstances that the coronavirus has brought upon us. We are dealing with the loss of mobility. For the sake of stopping the spread, we have stopped going where we desire. There are many closures and some have lost their livelihoods altogether. The freedom of our recreational activities with friends and our social gatherings with neighbors are halted. We grieve these losses. We are a people yielded to your will and afraid for our lives. At your mercy, we are left with questions. Is the one who made heaven and earth able to provide a remedy during these sullen days? Is the one with the strongest right hand able to deliver? Where are you, O Lord, in the midst of this uncommon season? Our sorrow is welling up to heaven over relational difficulties. You said it is not good for man to be alone, yet we feel alone in our marriages. The strain is real. We feel alone in our work. Collaborating with co-workers is not the same. We feel alone in our apartments. Some say, it's just me here. A handshake, a hug, or a simple pat on the back from another human being is missing. We self-quarantine from roommates, spouses, and children for the sake of love. But it feels like a great conundrum. Oh, Lord, where will we find the strength to go on when these days, these difficult days wear on us? We are also exhausted by the physical, emotional and mental toil of COVID-19. Our friends and relatives are suffering to their last breath with the constant struggle to breathe. We're not able to be with them in, in their final moments without facing threat to ourselves. Many have died isolated and alone. Father, we hate it. We hate it. It's so hard. And the grief is too much to bear in this state of affairs. We are struggling to see you through this creeping lens of despair. We want control over this. We want things to be set right. Does heaven not see what this virus is doing to us? Does heaven not hear our cries for help? When our hearts are filled with all of these things, we are sorrowful and grieved. So remember, O oh Lord, what has come upon us. Look and see our lowly estate. We need you once again to lift our eyes to see Jesus. We say with Habakkuk in the face of destruction, uncertainty, and loss, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy 
in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Father, you have turned our eyes to the high place of Calvary. This is where Jesus paid it all and secured our souls in him. He is risen and we are raised with him. He sits at the right hand of your throne of grace. There we are with him. Father, we trust you to restore our world, heal our people, and to bring great glory to your name. We pray this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Scene four, Jesus prays in the garden. Luke 22, 39 through 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. As I've been reflecting upon the passages that we've heard, there's a question that has been ringing in my mind. And that is, why did Jesus so earnestly desire to share this Passover meal with his disciples? Was it because it would be their last time together? Was it because of the rich teaching he was going to pass along? Was it because he longed to explain to them the full meaning of the Jewish Passover? I'm sure all of those are true. But I think there is something more critical that he wanted to impart to them. And it was demonstrated in his washing their feet. Now, there are some lowly jobs, some menial jobs, you can do and still look good doing them. Every year, our elders would take a retreat to a farm, and on Saturday, we do some manual labor. And there are some jobs people like to do because, well, you can kind of look good and macho doing them, like splitting wood or breaking up concrete with a sledgehammer. There's not so much enthusiasm to clean the bathrooms at the end of the retreat after 17 guys have used them. There are some tasks that are just lowly, period. This was one of them in Jesus' day. In fact, the lowest Jewish slave could be excused from washing feet if there was a non-Jewish slave there who might be able to perform it. And so we find ourselves in a situation where Jesus' disciples certainly don't want to wash one another's feet. They've been arguing about who the greatest is. That might compromise their chance later to take a coveted position. And so Jesus gets up and washes the disciples' feet. And here we see a principle. And that is, there is a way that a lowly task, an undesired task, can uh, be made honorable 
And it's when someone of great status, someone who is noble, performs it selflessly and lovingly and freely. Maybe you've seen a video of a great athlete teaching young kids who can barely throw the football how to play football. Or maybe you've been on a service project and there was someone there of pretty uh, significant status, but they worked hard at a low task the entire day, didn't leave early, didn't come in just for a photo op. And in that, what was happening? The low task was elevated and was seen more honorable. So what do we have with Jesus? Here you have the one who had come from God and was going back to God, meaning this is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the one who has always been. In Jesus, you have one that had glory before the world began. In Jesus, you had one who had been given all things into his hands by the Father. And yet he performs a task that is the lowest of the lowliest slave. And in so he shows the beauty of loving service. But this was just the warm-up, right? There was a task, or rather something in the ancient world, Roman world, that was even lower than washing someone's feet. And that was to be seen crucified on a cross. Now, as modern people, we tend to see the, cru the crucifixion of Jesus, even if we're not uh, a religious person or a Christian, at least as uh, a noble, uh, sacrificial gesture of laying one's life down for their friends or for a matter of justice. But no one in that world would have seen it like that. In fact, in their minds, they would have thought he must have had it coming for the gods and the fates to allow these events to unfold where this man is a curse and he's crucified, it must have been deserved. And in part, they were right. Not that it was deserved, but it was a curse. And it was something that was necessary by God's holiness and justice, but not for the reason we would think. Jesus had to show this love for two reasons. One, we're not fit to sit at a table with him, not because our feet are grimy. It's the grime of our own project of greatness, our own self-exaltation. We wake up each morning thinking, how am I going to get the supplies I need today? Or maybe it's self-righteousness and judging other people. I know they have a stockpile of toilet paper. I just know it. Why do they have more? All these things we see in our heart. But even more than that, it was necessary that Jesus show how much God loves sinners. How great his love is for those that are dead in sin, that he would make them alive in Christ. And I think that begins to change our view of service in this time. I read recently that about a third of people during this pandemic uh, are experiencing uh, mental health uh, problems. And it's not a surprise. Right? Things that used to give us meaning, social interactions, perhaps our job. Now it's routine, mundane, thing, mundane things, more uh, pressure upon us, not knowing when it's going to end. And it's hard to see any value in those small acts of service and love. But there are two things I think might help us. One, 
is the value of our deeds. You know, maybe in your job, you've been working some grunt labor, doing something, and uh, but your boss enters in the room and immediately the task is important. It wasn't before, but it is important now because the boss has shown interest in what you're doing. For most of Jesus's life, virtually all of his life, no one could appreciate what he was doing except for one person, his Father in heaven. We get counsel from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 for slaves. And one of the ways he counsels them is don't forget that the Father, Christ, is seeing what you're doing. Each deed, each act that you do is seen with the loving eyes of the Father. And you and I have to remember that right now. Even the smallest cup of cold water, Jesus said, would be rewarded. But secondly, and lastly, it's not just the value of our deeds, it's the potential of our deeds. Maybe uh, you can think right now of someone that did what would appear to be an insignificant deed uh, for you, but you have never forgotten it. To this day, it has impact even though it was a, a small, lowly deed. Why? Well, if I had to guess, it was because of the love that was attached to it. John would go on to record this deed, and the disciples would go on to remember it. It's a small, forgettable deed. It was done thousands and thousands of times by people in that day. But they remember it because of the love that emphasized it. Uh, low deeds done in great love have an impact that we just don't understand. And that holds even in this time. Would you pray with me? Thank you for such a great love, God, expressed in Jesus. Thank you that you stooped down to make us great. Thank you that your spirit lives in all who receive you. And thank you that you will be faithful in this time. In Christ's name, amen. Scene five. A reading from Luke 22, verses 47 to 53. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and with clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Now friends, receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord your God, our help in ages past, and our hope for years to come, be your guard while troubles last, and lead you to his eternal throne, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said together, Amen.